Welcome to Practical Forms of Self-Love with Jesh Durox, a mini-series focusing on 10 essential perspectives and practices to embody self-love. Here's Jesh. Hello and welcome to day seven of this 10-day series I've been doing on Practical Forms of Self-Love. So... Today, we've got a topic for you called Honoring Your Dreams. And of course, this is a practical forms of self-love beyond the meme, beyond the concept. What does it look like to practice and embody? I think practice is such a beautiful word to me, you know, because inside of it, built into the word is this idea that you're probably not going to get it right the first time. Also built into that word is the idea of repetition. I think also built into that word is that you're working towards something really, really beautiful. And I think all three of those, all three of those things are very much a part of what I feel is the ideal life. And, you know, certainly big parts of, of, you know, self-love involved in that. So to love yourself, you know, like, what does that even mean to love yourself? We've talked uh, at different moments in this series that I've been doing about how love, you know, is an aspect of relationship and relationship is an aspect of uh, awareness. Maybe aspect's not the perfect word for that, but certainly love grows from relationship and relationship grows from, from awareness. And so one of the very first things that has to develop for you to ever have a chance of getting into love with anything, but especially yourself, is that you have to enter a relationship with it. You have to have a relationship with it. And we all do have relationships, you know, with ourselves automatically, but it's not one that's talked about very much. It's not one that we are shown how to interact with very much. A big part of my passion, actually, this is a long-term passion, but I think later on in my life, is uh, I want to be a part of, you know, changing childhood education. Part of what I think kids really need to be learning in school is relationship with self, you know, self-love, self-care, very practical level. And the mind by far is the thing that impacts us more than any other thing in our life. Our own mind impacts us way more than any other thing. And yet we are taught so little about the mind. It's almost a mythical creature. So a lot of my work in wanting to understand what creates a person, what forms a character that becomes very impactful, very, very powerful in the world, always the mind is the number one factor because the mind is such a powerful creative instrument. You can look at our hand and you can see how flexible it is and just how powerful the hand is because it can hold a jug of milk, it can open up a door, it can turn a key, it can play the piano, it can scratch my face. There's just so many things that the hand can do. It's incredibly versatile. And the mind, even so much more than that, so much more than that, but we get really good with our hands. And I think a big part of the reason why we get so good with our hands is because we can see them. They're outside of our body. We can make decisions about how well they're doing or how you know not well they're doing. And we can make slight adjustments to that as, as soon as they do the thing we don't want them to do. But with the mind, it's much trickier because we can't see our own mind. It's one of the hardest things I think that humans have to face is that it's just very hard to see ourselves. And because of that, we can be doing things, thinking things, feeling things that are not to our benefit. And we'll just keep doing them again and again and again, sometimes for many, many years. 
I really crave moments where I see myself better. And it's part of the reason why I journal. It's part of the reason why I create art. It's part of the reason why I have conversations, even conversations like this one. One of the best ways to learn anything is to teach it. It really is. Trust me, I'm, I'm a person who's, who's explored that quite deeply. I was initially teaching about connection and it's because I didn't know how to connect. I wanted to know better. And by the time I got good enough to teach it, it's because I had, had been learning for a long time about how to do all that stuff better. But even though in some areas of my life, I got really good at connection, there was other areas that I wasn't not good at it that really spurred me to keep going. I sometimes make this joke that I've been to more Jesh workshops than anyone on the planet. I was there for every single one of them. And good God, did I learn so much during that time. It's a really beautiful thing to kind of set yourself in this space and say, okay, I'm gonna give a talk on this and we're gonna explore this and this and this, because then you gotta show up and you gotta say something and it's practice, you know, it's practice. Practice itself is a beautiful form of self-love, which may be a whole nother day that we'll do. But for today, I wanna dive into this subject that we've got, which is honoring your dreams, okay? So dreams is another one of those kind of like cliche things, you know, like, ooh, dreams. But I personally think that dreams might be something more than we, we even know. Definitely a practical form of self-love is, is taking action on your dreams. When we think of dreams, a lot of the time, we are thinking of these hopes that we have, these fantasies that we have about how we want our life to be, something that you always wanted to do. There's something that you saw in a picture one time, you know, you saw the Taj Mahal or something, just like, oh, someday I want to go see the Taj Mahal with my own eyes. Maybe it's like, I want to be a singer. And you saw somebody sing one day and, or heard them, and you're just like, yes, this is it. So we have this idea a lot of times, dreams are these things that we want to do, but they're always far off in the distance. And we tend to have more dreams, usually as younger people. And then as we get older, we set aside our dreams in favor of, of something else. And some people even stop believing in their dreams. Let's talk about dreams in a little bit of a different way than we normally would, okay? Because again, you know, dream can be this cliche kind of a thing. I want to talk about dreams uh, in, in how they affect the body, okay? Because there was a commonality in all those things that I just said. You want to be a singer because you heard or saw a singer one time. You want to go to Taj Mahal because you saw a picture of it one time. There's always like this thing, this moment, this, this happening that spurs the generation of a dream. That seems to be how it works. And how do you know? Like, what, what, is it, what is it that creates something to be a dream versus any other idea? You know, why, why do we call it a dream? This spurring or this hope or this energy towards wanting to get to a certain place or wanting to be a certain thing. I think it's really interesting to slow that process down and pay attention to the body. I'm super, super, super into the body. If I had two messages for my whole life, you know, at this point of my life, they would be one, the body is way more interesting than you think it is. Way more. Way more capable, way more powerful, way more full and rich. I talked about just the hand alone. I could go on for a long time about how beautiful the hand is and how versatile. And then the mind, even more so, so much more so. The fact that all of this is working together. I mean, look, I've got these eyebrows and I'm not even doing anything to get these eyebrows. I have nothing to do with it. You know, my conscious mind. They just grow all by themselves. And then, of course, that's not the only thing I have. A nose, and lungs, and lips, and like all of this stuff. 
It's working for you. It's working for you. The body is something that we really need to build awareness of and really need to build relationship with and to really check in with our relationship with ourselves. How are we treating it? What kind of relationship are we in? If you could see the relationship that you had with yourself, for most people, that would be a scary thing. It would be a sad thing. It would be a heartbreaking thing. If, if you look at the relationship between the conscious mind and the body, it is a marriage. Good God, it is a marriage closer than even, you know, a marriage to your love of your life or a partner. Because at some point, the love goes or, or you go. The love ends at some point. But you are always inside of your body. You will have that relationship. You've had it from the beginning. You're going to have it all the way to the end. This is a really serious and important and powerful and valuable relationship that you have. And I think dreams are a part of that. There's something really, really special about dreams that I think is a little bit obscured because it's become one of those words that's a cliche. And I really pay attention to the cliche words and then I like to break them open with a hammer, you know, or tear them apart to just really try to understand where they came from. Because as easy as it is to just write off cliche kind of words, love, dreams, God, all of that kind of stuff. If millions and millions or billions of people on the planet have this concept in their head and have had for many, many generations, there's probably something to it. And it doesn't mean that it's exactly the way it's talked about, but there's some kind of an energy there. There's some kind of an impetus that's there that, uh, that is important for us to look at and understand. So what I want to talk about a little bit today is how when you're having experience and it shakes you up somehow, it shakes you up, it stirs you, it quickens something in you, something in you comes alive, something in you rears its head and says, what is this? What is happening? Who is that person singing up there, making that music? I remember one of those moments for me was I was maybe 16 years old and there was this beautiful older man. He was probably in his 50s at that time. You know, so he seemed much older to me as a 16 year old. And he was a poet and uh, he was a man poet, which is not as common, especially these days. A lot of the poets are ladies. That kind of became like a phenomenon, you know, that was more inside of the, the feminine arts. It was considered, even though, you know, many of our greatest poets are also men too. But, but this was a man and he was, he was a poet and I saw him speak. There was maybe 30 people in the room. I was uh, living in Northern Canada at the time, you know, didn't have a lot of cultural opportunities, but this was, this was one. He shows up, gives this amazing reading from this book and his poetry was very different than any poetry I'd ever heard before. And it really kind of ripped into me. It was visceral. It was it was a very masculine form of poetry. You know, it was dangerous. It was, it was beautiful. It was like nothing I had seen. And I think what I really kind of pulled from that experience was you can get up in front of a bunch of people and you can share a piece of your life because that's what his poems were about. They were about hard things he'd experienced and what he pulled from them, you know, and what he saw and how, what it felt like. There's these little details. So powerful. It really inspired me. I thought something about that is something similar, you know, to who I am and, and what I want to do. And that was kind of like the formation of a dream. It was early stages then, so I didn't even know what it was. And I didn't necessarily become a poet, but I did become a person who shares little pieces and details of my life, you know, with a lot of people, a lot of people. It's weird to think about sometimes. I grew up so isolated, so separate from, from so many people and situations and things. And 
at this stage of my life, I have been able to travel a lot of the world and speak in front of, I think like 150,000 people or some crazy thing like that. Crazy. So interesting, the different turns and twists that life can take. And that comes from honoring the dreams. It absolutely comes from honoring the dreams. So if we set aside the word dream, just because sometimes that word can be tricky, it's a cliche like we've been talking about, right? So let's set aside, follow your dreams. Let's set that aside for a second. Let's break down what I mean by dreams. What I mean by dreams is a moment where you were deeply impacted, where your body saw something that was so beautiful and felt something that was so beautiful that you knew you had to do something about it. These dreams form from such impactful moments like this. And so sometimes these are you know, moments of beauty, like me watching Patrick the poet as a 16-year-old boy, watching this man confidently and powerfully share these special little moments from his life in front of a whole group of strangers. Beautiful. That impacted me. And then there's other times where very sad things have happened to me, you know, deeply tragic things have happened to me. Sometimes those can actually bird dreams in people. It's interesting how when we're talking about the versatility of the mind and the flexibility of it and how there's different ways to interact with everything. A big part of the benefit of a building relationship with your body and with your mind is that you start becoming more aware of when you're just repeating patterns and when you're really edging into the explorative, stretching faculty, the, the ability to grow that the, that the mind has. Just like with a plant, this ever-reaching, stretching, getting more light, getting more nutrients, getting taller, getting thicker, getting stronger, getting more able to weather the elements, becoming more of a benefit to the community around, becoming more shade for other animals and a whole ecosystem. We've talked, I think, earlier in the series about how most people are seeds, you know, and they never really get beyond the seed stage. And even though there's so much potential in them to grow, they often just are not doing the practice, the work to connect themselves with the elements of growth. And I think dreams, what we call dreams, are a really big part of this because whatever moment this was, whether it was from beauty or whether it was from tragedy, it impacted you so much. It rung in the body so much that the body and the mind connected for a brief moment. And that's part of what makes it so special because for most people, a lot of the time, the body is just kind of subjugated. It's, it's objectified. It's just a thing that the mind uses. But I think there's special moments like falling in love, like uh, seeing something that's super inspiring, you know, that spurs a dream. There's moments of tragedy sometimes can do this too, really pull us into our body and link between the mind and the body. And we are a creature of mind. We are also a creature of body. I believe also we are a creature of spirit. And when those three things are all present and all aware and all in sync, you are a powerhouse. You are a powerhouse. You know, and I think a lot of times people get stuck just in the mind in this small little cage up here. It would kind of like be if you were in this incredible building, like a skyscraper, you know, that had just rooms everywhere and full of incredible technology and full of incredible experiences and just all of these different levels in this huge skyscraper. And you were only like on the very top floor in the executive room, shut in the office, and you just never left that room. That's what it would be like just being stuck in what we think of as our conscious mind. 
you're a whole huge building and you go way beyond the office room. And sure, the office room has important characteristics to it, but you are much more than that. And I think leaving that office room, going into the other places in the body is so important. And so one of the beautiful things about these dreams is that when we have a dream, we get inspired about a dream, it can really be something that can connect that body with that mind. One of the things that's often used in terms of dreams and when we talk and think about dreams are uh, that whole idea of like sports. I think for a lot of kids, that's like one of the dreams. It's like, I want to be a soccer player when I grow up. I want to be a basketball player. And that dream spurs them to practice, spurs them to practice. And self-love is definitely practice. And so things that spur you to practice, spur you, inspire you to use your body to grow and to stretch and to move and all that. Beautiful, super, super beautiful. So I propose this. I propose that we think of this question, what if when your body has that response that says, ooh, something exciting just happened. Ooh, something important just happened. What if that's not just some random flick? What if it's more important? What if it's in fact deeply beautiful? What if your dream, when you find it, you know, when you have a dream, when it starts unfolding in you, when your body goes like this, what if that's like a little moment of the seed? cracking and breaking open. I want to talk about destiny for just a minute because dreams and destiny are kind of, you know, plugged into each other. And I would also say that, you know, destiny is another one of those words. It's just kind of thrown around. It's like dreams, destiny, love. It's crack open destiny for just a minute. I realized this one time and it was a super big realization for me. And so I'm, I'm happy to be able to pass it on in case it also is for you. And when we think about destiny, we're often thinking about like, okay, I'm here to do something specific. Like I'm here to create this or to make this, et cetera, et cetera. But I think a lot of times when people are thinking about destiny, they're thinking about it backwards because I think our destiny most of the time, if not all the time, is not to do something specific or say something specific or be somewhere at a certain time somewhere specifically. I think our destiny is probably a lot more like the destiny of a seed. And what do I mean by that? If you take one seed, okay, and you plant it right here outside of the house that I'm in, and you give it the things it needs, it will grow in a certain shape. And one branch will be here, and one will be here, and it will have this kind of fruit, etc., etc., etc. But if you take that exact same seed and you plant it 20 feet away from here, or if you plant it 10 miles from here, or if you plant it in Bali, or if you plant it in Australia, or if you plant it in South Africa, probably if there's, you know, enough nutrients there, it's going to grow in all of those different areas. If plants thought about their destiny, the way that humans think about ours a lot of time, it would be like the plant, the little seed thinking, okay, my destiny is to have five branches and uh, four pieces of fruit that come out, you know, every Wednesday or whatever. And it's like, that's not the right way to look at it, I don't think. I think the destiny of a human is the same as the destiny of a plant, and that is grow. That's the destiny of the plant. The destiny of the plant is to grow. The destiny of the seed is to break open. And there's so many different ways that that could happen. And I think that's a really important part of this whole idea of dreams is we can't get too specific with this in terms of like this one thing has to happen in this way and if it doesn't then nothing else is real and nothing else is right because sometimes you do see people who do get so obsessed 
and so blockheaded about one specific thing happening that even when the thing happens, they're not even happy about it. There's actually this famous thing among sports champions that once they get to the very top and they win the biggest championship or get the biggest gold medal or whatever it is that's at, at the top, there's this period afterwards that is like a known thing. It's a documented thing where there's just this deep depression because they're like, well, what is life? And um, interestingly, I read one time that one of the hallmarks of a truly great sports person, the people like Michael Jordan, who just go to the very, very top, is that they have very short periods of that depression and then are able to just go straight back into, okay, I'm climbing the next mountain, on to the next, on to the next. So saying all that to say, I, I think if we can switch this idea of dream, not as being a very specific thing, but almost like the way that the dream made you feel, that feeling that first sparked that dream, what was that like? And what if that's your destiny? What if your destiny is instead of doing a specific thing, what if it's to feel a specific way? That has certainly been much clearer and much stronger of a choice for me as I pay such attention to how I feel. And I'm quite flexible in how that ends up turning out. And in the areas of my life I've been the most successful, that's certainly true. And in the areas of my life where I've had the biggest challenge, which I would probably say is relationship, personal relationship, that's an area where I want specific things to work out in very specific ways. And it's, it's challenging for me when it, when it doesn't. So if we can think of the dreams in the, in the way that they make us feel, suddenly we have so many more options, you know, in the way that we're handling all this. I want to throw something else out there about dreams. Dreams aren't always big. I think sometimes we can have these little mini dreams and it could be like, every time I go to the grocery store, there's this one really cute girl there. And I, just, I never talked to her and it's like, it'd be so cool if one day I was just brave enough, you know, to, to do that. Someone can be like, oh, well, that's, that's not that big of a deal. Well, maybe it is. <laughs> Who are we to judge the bigness of our dreams? Because if a, if a guy has something like that for a girl and then does end up talking, maybe they end up hitting off. Maybe they end up dating. Maybe they end up living together. Maybe they end up having a baby. Maybe that baby grows up to be one of the most beautiful poets that we've ever seen. Maybe that poet grows up and inspires a 16-year-old boy living in northern Canada <laughs> to get on Instagram one day and share a little bit about what he's learned. So for all we know, this entire chain of events that's led to you and me talking right now was because there was a boy who liked this girl in the grocery store, you know, like a hundred years ago. And he had a feeling that that was interesting to him. And so he, he honored that feeling. And something that I think is so beautiful about kids is they always honor their dreams. Like at the very young ones, they always honor their dreams. They have very small dreams, you know, but they always honor them, or at least they do the best that they can to honor them. You look at a baby and a baby's looking at something and it makes it feel a certain way and it looks interesting, you know? It's like, it's like a nose, you know? And it's just like, what is, it doesn't know that it's a nose though. It's just looking at this beautiful, bright thing that has a spot of light on it, you know? <laughs> it looks bulbous and soft. And it, its dream in that moment is to reach out and touch that nose. And so it feels completely uninhibited and it just goes, it just goes out and going to get the nose. I'm going to touch the nose. I'm going to get, get. That is a dream, you know, and it might be, not be as grandiose as some of the dreams we have later. But what I've learned about the fulfillment of dreams and good God, I can, I can tell you, I, I have been very blessed, very fortunate, very lucky 
very obsessed, you know, with the bringing of my dreams in, into reality. And I've had big dreams come into reality. I've seen things come into place I never would have imagined. The whole superfield movement that happened that completely changed, you know, the, the photography industry. I got to be at the very beginning of that. I got to see all of that happen. I got to see these crazy ideas that I had as a, as a weirdo, <laughs> isolated, nerdy boy reach out and explode all through the industry. It's a part of how a lot of photographers shoot every single day now. And that's so cool. It's so cool to be a part of making something like that happen. That was a really big dream of mine. Initially, I was like, I can only do this for 30 couples a year in the way that I'm doing it. And they were having such beautiful impact. I was like, what if, what if a thousand photographers knew these things I knew? What if I could help a thousand photographers learn how to do this? That means 30,000 couples a year would get to experience these beautiful feelings and this interchange that happens when, when the superfield method is, is being employed. Now, at last count, there's somewhere around 30,000, maybe 35,000 photographers around the world who regularly use these techniques. And it's spreading all the time. It's growing all the time. How many couples, how many families, how many humans are being affected by that now? It's crazy. I've been a part of the process of dreams coming true. <laughs> and if you'll hear anything from me from it, please let me just tell you the biggest thing I think I've done to help that happen is that I pay such attention to the way that I feel and, and I honor it as much as possible. And so I'm practicing putting these things into play. You know, I'm practicing connecting my mind with my body. I'm practicing practicing things. A lot of the times that I'm going for something, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how it's going to work out. I just don't let that stop me. And one of my favorite artists in so many ways, even though he had his big flaws for sure, is Picasso. And one of my quotes that I love from him, his quotes, <laughs> it's mine now. He says, I'm always doing things that I can't do. That's how I do them. And I think that's one of the biggest areas where people really keep themselves and cut their, their dreams to shreds. They just kill the dream before it even has a chance because they've never done their dream. And they use the fact that they've never done it as some kind of a reasoning that this can't happen. And Picasso says, no, 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 no. Of course, I've never done this, you know, but that's exactly why I'm doing it. So he uses that instead as a, as a thing to spur him on. So dreams aren't always big and paying attention to your small dreams, I think is just as important, if not more important than the big ones, because the big ones never really happen uh, by themselves. The big ones, in my experience, are always a, a small succession of very tiny dreams that are, that are put into place, that are put into practice. And I think that's an important part of it, too, that making dreams real is always going to be a journey. I think there's a lot of people with dreams. There's not a lot of people that follow through with the dreams. And that's really what I'm getting at when I say you're honoring the dream, okay? Because just to have a dream isn't enough. That's like saying, oh, yeah, I have a partner. Oh, that's interesting, Jim. Well, well, uh, where are they? I've never even seen them. Oh, she just, you know, she stays in the sewing room. She's in there, you know, 18 hours a day. I don't let her out. Well, Jim, that's, that's kind of sad and terrible, isn't it? You know? <laughs> and... Having a partner is not the same as honoring the partner. Having dreams is one thing. Honoring them is another. And just like we've been talking about, building relationship with yourself, building relationship with your dreams, it's not that different than building relationship with somebody else. It's made of present communication. It's made of care. It's made of listening. It's 
all of the same factors that are applied to this. So what does that look like practically, okay? Let's say tomorrow you see somebody singing, you happen to go to, you know, a poetry slam, or you see this really stunning image, or you hear somebody talk about this experience that they had with a book, and you have a feeling in there. The feeling is like, this is interesting to me. Something about this is pulling at me. Something is speaking to me. Now, when we're coming from that place and we're feeling that feeling, we can do one of two things. We can be like, ah, but I've never done that before. Dream killer. Ah, but, you know, I don't have time. Dream killer. Ah, but I'm just not the kind of person, you know, who dream killer. Okay? All of those ways, very common things to do. We've all done them before. None of those ways will ever cause the fruition of the dream to open up, you know, and to really go deep in that direction. So what I think I really want to say, you know, on a difference there is when you have that feeling, do something about it. Do something about it. Put it into a form. It's not going to be right the first time a lot of times, but as soon as you get into a form, now you can make decisions about it. Now you can make refinements. Putting it into form, put it on paper. Call up your friends. Tell your friend. One thing that's been super successful for me which I think we're going to do a whole talk about, is make creative projects out of the things that scare you. Make creative projects out of your dreams. We could even say, you know, that dreams can sometimes come from these things that scare us. And, and that is certainly has been true for me. You know, I used to be terrified of being alone. I used to crave connection from other people. I used to desperately, you know, want to find a, a friends, a family, a tribe. And from those fearful things, from the painful things, you know, that's part of this dream that developed in me that I now am so blessed to be surrounded by stunning friends who have a stunning tribe that's worldwide and regularly get to spend time in precious communication and conversation. People that just blow me away. I mean, I had dinner two weeks ago with one of my favorite humans, one of my favorite artists that I even know. I just had dinner with them. And I was just sitting there thinking like, how did this ever happen? How did the loneliest kid in the world, the shyest, weirdest kid, how did I ever get to a place where I'm sitting across the table from this incredible human that I used to listen to when I was a kid? I can definitely say that it's moment after moment of honoring that, of honoring those dreams. And again, I would challenge you to stop thinking about the word dreams because the word dream is almost dead itself. And just think about that feeling that causes the dream to come into embodiment, to, to come into reality. Honor that feeling, whatever that feeling is. It's almost like the pre-dream, maybe we could call it, or the seed of the dream or something, or the, the catalyst for the dream. Because I have now, at this point in my life, lived so many of those dreams, practiced so much of that so, so often for so long, that I'm super aware when that, that dream comes. And, you know, when I get that feeling, I don't say, oh, never mind. I don't say I'm not the kind of person. I am the kind of person. <laughs> and I don't say I don't have time for this. I, I make time because this is my life. This is my life to do this, to share this, to, to follow this. And I believe there's this other thing that plants have that is super interesting to me. And it's called phototropism. And phototropism is this fascinating phenomenon where the plants will start growing towards the light. Of course, it's because the light is the thing that nourishes them and pours energy into them. It's beautiful that plants do this. I believe 
that that feeling that we get right before a dream becomes formed, that joy that we get, that surge of like, yes, that is an evolution. It's an evolved version of that ancient phototropism. Some people don't know this, but we actually share some DNA with plants. Plants are our ancestors from super, super long ago, but very small amounts, obviously, but some of our DNA is literally shared by, by plants. So this whole plant in the body is even interesting. If you look at the, the nerves in the body, you know, up the spinal cord, it's like a trunk and then it branches out into the nerves in the brain. It does the same thing down, down and then it branches out into the nerves, you know, all around the solar plexus area. That's a tree, man. You have a tree inside of you. <laughs> Pretty cool. All right, a few more things here, and then we will close this up. I want to talk a little bit about holders of dreams. We mentioned that a little bit ago. It's like, yeah, I've got a partner, but she's, you know, <laughs> locked in the, the seamstress room or whatever. Uh, that's not a partnership. So we have these dreams, but a lot of them are just like locked away. We have this feeling once, we're like, oh, that would be amazing if, but we don't for all the reasons that we don't. It's a powerful form of self-love, practical form of self-love, which is, of course, this the theme we're exploring right now. So holders of dreams are basically like uh, seeds that aren't planted. I think I mentioned this in one of the last talks, but I think it bears mentioning again that it's so interesting to me that a seed that is one inch above the ground will bear no more fruit, will have no more growth than a seed that's a hundred miles off the ground. I think that's really important to pay attention to because I think sometimes because we think about our dreams, because we sit there imagining about them, that we're like, we somehow think that we're doing them or something like that. And it's like, nope, it has to be planted. The seed has to be planted. It has to come into the body. It has to start being practiced. It has to start being put into action. That's another phrase that we can almost want to destroy because it's just so common. Put it into action, put it into action. What does that mean? It means the mind and the body become linked. And you're doing something, you're being something, you're living something now. That's one of my biggest problems with religion is a lot of it is just up here for people. People think that they think these things, they think that they believe these things. But if those things that they believe, I don't care how beautiful they are, if they're not coming into your body, if they're not in you, if they're not causing action, beautiful action to happen, something is, is wrong. Jesus had this amazing quote where he says, it's not what comes into your body that defiles you or saves you. It's what comes out. And what he's basically meaning, as far as I'm concerned, is, yeah, sure, you've got these dreams inside of you. Good for you. But what are you doing about them? What are you doing about them? Holders of dreams are like seeds that are just unplanted. Somebody might say, yeah, but I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know. Guess what? Neither do seeds. Seeds have no freaking idea how it's going to work out. You think seeds know how it's going to work out? No. They just plants. They just go in there and they do the work and they break open. And I think that whole hesitance that we have of not wanting to fail and not wanting to mess up is really stealing a lot of uh, opportunity to have self-love. It really is. It really is. We did it. That's basically all I want to say about this stuff. I hope there was uh, something interesting or valuable for you in there. It's Josh Durax signing out. <laughs>
Practical Forms of Self-Love with Jesh D. Rocks is produced by Jesh D. Rocks and edited by Elizabeth Windham. Our theme music is by Kai Kai. It's called Celeste from the album Fantasize. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you know someone who would appreciate this mini-series, we encourage you to share it, screenshot it, and airdrop it to your friends, family, and general community. You can find Jesh at Jesh D. Rocks on Instagram and Facebook.